7. This is the Word of God. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Amen. You may be seated. The book of First John almost reads like a tongue twister. The message is pretty straightforward, but as one commentator puts it, John presents us with an abrupt, exceedingly complex, syntactical, conv syntactically convoluted, frequently ambiguous, complicated interweaving of stammering, infuriatingly obscure insider language, a grammatical triangle. I mean, just to say, when you read through 1 John, it can be quite confusing. There are words that are repeated, forwards and backwards. He seems to be saying the same thing over and over again in different ways. And when you read it, it's, it's complex, but the message is straightforward. Like I said, it almost reads like a tongue twister. Now listen to the words of 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. You begin to wonder what is which and who is we and what does we have to say about which to you. No wonder whether we stumble upon, uh, we wonder whether we stumble upon a Dr. Seuss book when we read through 1st John. That which was from the beginning. Now the author of 1st John is the Apostle John, one of the disciples of Jesus, and he takes us way back. And he is the same author who writes the Gospel of John, not to be mistaken with the letters of John. The Gospels of John are in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, on the, of the account of Jesus and the life and ministry of Jesus. And 50 or 60 years later, he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 50 or 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, he writes these letters to scattered Jews, perhaps um, 
in that area. We know that he is writing not to one particular church, but to many churches. And so 50 or 60 years, he writes this, these letters. But what John is doing here is he doesn't take us just, just back 50 or 60 years. He takes us way, 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 way back, all the way to the beginning. For you see, when you read the first John chapter one, verse one, it begins the same way that John chapter one, verse one begins. John chapter one begins in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Right out of John chapter 1. And in John, 1 John chapter 1 begins the same way. That which was from the beginning. For you see, it's not lost on John that, again, what we're looking at here is not just a reference to his first book, right? The Gospel of John, but he's taking us way back to the very first book in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we know how that begins with the same words, in the beginning, in the beginning. It's not lost on John that we're talking about something that's not just about a person that came into history about 2,000 years ago, but we're looking at the Son of God who has existed from eternity past. So we'll be exploring not just who Jesus claimed to be, but uncover what that means for us. It's in the structure and the message of the letter. So for one, when you read through this, he says, he uses the word no. He uses the word no, a word repeated often and found something like over 40 times in the book of 1 John. The word to know. It's a word that means more than just to know something intellectually. Like Sacramento is the capital of California. And I'm not sure if you know, but San Jose used to be the capital of California. Or E equals MC squared. Or perhaps Fremont, right? Welcomes the most Afghan refugees in the U.S., or facts like 5,280 feet equals one mile. Now I'm just giving you facts here. But John is not referring to just a knowledge, a, uh, a knowledge of, uh, or an intellectual knowledge, but he's talking about something that we know experientially, right? To uh, have a lived out knowledge. Let me just read to you verse 3 uh, to verse 5. And just kind of, re- just kind of uh, emphasize this word to know. In verse 3 it says this, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Verse 4, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. Verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John uses the word to know. And so again, if you read through the book of 1 John, if I can, just give you a a synopsis of the 
the first letter of John, it might be this, right? If the word is to know, we might say, this is how we know for sure. There are three tests, three cardinal tests that the Apostle John gives us to figure out whether we know experientially or not. Three things. Again, this is just the synopsis of the book of 1 John, but three tests, whether you know. One, John says, we know when we come to know theologically, right, or doctrinally. We come to know Jesus. We come to know Jesus as the Son of God, the one who was in, who existed 50 years prior to the writing of 1 John, or perhaps if we go way back to the beginning of time, that Jesus existed even there. I mean, how do we know this? I mean, if we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image, kind of a plural language that takes us way back to a time when not only God the Father, but God the Son and God the Spirit existed as a triune, as the triune God, right? Uh, the perfect Trinity who existed in eternity past. And what John is doing here in the letter is he's taking us way back and saying here, Jesus, the Son of God, is truly the Son of God. He is God himself who didn't just come to exist in history, but has always been. He wasn't just created, but he has always been since the beginning. And so he uses the word know and says, this is how we know. One, do we know God theologically, right? Do we have a good theology, a good doctrine of who Jesus is? Is Jesus the Son of God, who he claimed to be? Two, like I said, this is all the structure of 1 John. But two, the Apostle John says how we come to know is not just theologically, but morally. Morally, we come to know God when we obey His commandments. That's what 1 John repeats over and over and over again and again in our section this morning as well. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, if you obey His commandments. And so there's a high bar for how we come to know God. Whether we know God or not is by how we follow His commandments. And that's true, again, as we have looked at here as well, right? We, we come to confess our sins. We come to acknowledge that we fall short of the commandments that God lays out. Uh, there is not one person who keeps the law perfectly all the way back to the Old Testament. And again here, what, what John is saying is we come to know God whether uh, by how we know and follow, uh, I'm sorry, how we come to uh, acknowledge theologically who Jesus is. Uh, secondly, whether we follow the moral law of God, whether we are uh, adherers of the commandments that God has laid out in the Old Testament. And thirdly, Socially, right? Theologically, morally, and socially, right? That's the whole book of 1 John. So who we know about Jesus, right? Or what we know about who Jesus is, how well we follow the commandments. And number three, it says socially, how we love one another. It's fascinating, right? But if all three, theological, moral, and social, Again, John is telling us these are the requirements of, of how we come to know God. So morally, follow the commandments. Socially, do I love my neighbor? 
Do I love my brother or my sister? And these are fascinating questions because, again, I know that we might think, um, as a Presbyterian church, we might think, you know, the most important thing is theology, right? What we know about theology. But what John lays out in this very practical letter is not only theology important and not only how well we follow the commandments of God is important, but socially how well we love our neighbor is just as important to whether we come to know God. So with that being said, let me just say, let's define a few terms. So one, when we read through 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it begins this way. My little children. It says, I am writing these things to you. And I love how easily John says this and more difficult to do. He says, so that you may not sin. Let me ask you this morning. I mean, how many of us have lived a sinless life this week? Not many of us, right? I mean, sin is a, when we think about sin, it's a, it's a, a transgression or a breaking of the law. You know, and again, that's why because we sin and fall short, that's the reason why each week during a portion of our service, we confess our sins. And you might think that seems like a strange thing to do, to confess sin. Like a relic of the ancient past, an outdated practice unnecessary and irrelevant. To some, to consider ourselves sinners in need of forgiveness might be offensive and repulsive since most of us are pretty good and sincere people. Perhaps we might think it's toxic to believe that we are innately undeserving, right? That we are born with a sin nature, that we have a propensity to sin. Because you know, you and I both know pretty, some pretty good people. And so it seems strange. It seems oddly strange that we confess sins, that we believe that we are innately flawed or undeserving or wrong or wicked or unacceptable. Because surely, thinking of ourselves this way, we might think can be harmful to our self-worth and our mental health. Still others, there is a belief that sin is a made-up concept, a myth, and should be ditched altogether. The concept is entirely man-made by an institution that determines what is right and wrong, perhaps to control people with fear and shame. But this is not why we confess sin. The confession of sin is an invitation to honesty, honesty with God, honesty with each other, honesty with ourselves because each and every one of us knows in our moments of deepest honesty that not only is the world not as it should be but if we were honest with ourselves neither are you or I whether we use creative names like uh, for sin like mistake or flaw or slip up or accident or misstep a lapse in judgment an offense a wrongdoing right we can name it all sorts of things but we all know for sure that there is something fundamentally wrong with the human race. It's difficult to argue otherwise. The world is not as it should be, but neither are you or I. One commentator says this. One commentator by the name of uh, Douglas O'Donnell says this in his commentary. He says, both scripture and experience teach that man, get this, he says, is both majestic and monstrous. Majestic and monstrous. 
He says, we indeed are majestic for among all creation, we alone have the capacity for rational thoughts, moral choice, artistic creativity, covenantal relationships, humble worship of the divine. But he says, we are also monstrous. I mean, think about what we're capable of. I mean, think about wars that are happening in the world. Think about the front page of the newspaper. I mean, think about deaths. Think about, um, I mean, think about all the tragedies that we see with, uh, with gun violence. I mean, think about all the horrendous things that we see that come across the, the pages of, of Facebook or Yahoo or whatever news outlet you choose. You and I both know as majestic as the human race is, so also do we have the capacity for monstrous things. With that being said, John introduces chapter 2 with the very warm words towards the readers of this letter. He says, my little children. Or other versions might say, beloved, loved ones, to show how much he cares for them. John's very purpose in writing to them is to encourage a life of holiness. He knows that Christians cannot live sinlessly. For who can keep God's, who keep, keep law, God's law perfectly? He never wants Christians to stop hating their sin growing in holiness and grace. And so John is saying that a right view of sin and of the place of sin in the Christian life far is far from making us complacent about sin, promotes holiness, and that is why he is writing these letters to, uh, to Christians who struggle with these very things. His very purpose is to move us to want to grow in grace. So he says very simply, guys, don't sin. <laughs> don't sin. Do you believe it's possible to heed the words of John not to sin? How about one morning? How about one hour? How about one minute? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Don't sin, but if you do, don't despair. We have an advocate, one who comes alongside. It's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, who comes as our, like a defense attorney, who pleads our case before the Father. The one uh, Romans, Revelation chapter 12 refers to as Satan, as the accuser of the brothers. Jesus stands up for us and declares us his own and constantly prays for us who serves as our advocates. The righteous. The propitiation for our sins. John is not hopelessly idealistic. That's not his point. Can you achieve sinless perfection? I don't think so. I could be proved wrong. But what is, John, what is John saying here? What does John believe? He believes that, again, there is life that can be transformed by the power of the gospel. So here's the encouragement. 
two things. I'll get to these things very quickly. Two things. Two things. Two words of encouragement. Let's listen to uh, what he says in verses 3 to 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. And listen to verse 6. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's the encouragement. He says, and if you are in Jesus, if you are in Christ, the encouragement for you and for I is to walk as Jesus did. Walk as Jesus did. I mean, there was a there was the wristband, right? I mean, I don't know if you remember that or not, but everyone, there was a craze back, I can't remember the 90s or the 2000s, but we used to wear these wristbands that used to say WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And it's a good model. Again, it's it's uh, comes right out of uh, here um, uh, and other parts of the scriptures as well, but uh, the encouragement is that, again, we are to live as Jesus lived his life. The test of whether or not we know God is marked by a life of obedience. The claim to know God without acknowledging His claim on us is empty. The emphasis on the word obey is the continuous nature of the action. We continue to obey Him. And so John is saying that we come to know, uh, we know God is by our desire to grow in obedience. If we truly know God, then we should know, we should grow in God. Our knowing must lead us to growing Again, it says, if we are, if we claim to be in the light, then we must do those things that are right. We know that when we, uh, if we do what he says we should do, and, and again, Jesus said it plainly in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And this model is so different than any other religion, right? Any other uh, set of laws that tell us what we should do and we shouldn't do is backed by a superior being that just gives commands. But what what God does for us in Scripture is is tell us that He loves us, that He has a relationship with us, that He desires to know us and be known by Him. He desires that from us. And so we are to live as Jesus lived, that we do what He commands because of God's love for us. In case we don't get it, John takes a subtle approach in verse 4. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This verse is very emphatic and should make us do an inventory. Brothers and sisters, our profession of faith must be lived out in our practice of faith. Right? Our actions should follow our beliefs. What we know should come out in how we live. And the Bible tells us that again, we are to live as Jesus lived. Number two. Verse seven to the end, or verse 11, says, Beloved, he repeats that word again, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 
Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And listen to verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, but does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What is Jesus saying? What is John saying about Jesus? He's saying, first of all, we're to live as Jesus lived. And two, he tells us we are to love as Jesus loved. This old commandment. He says, Beloved, I'm writing you a, not a, he says, uh, Beloved, a, a no new commandment, but an old commandment. I think it's mistyped in the bulletin. Uh, it's supposed to read an old new commandment, not covenant, but a commandment. And so how is something old and also new? Well, here, uh, here's how it's old. It's old in the fact that it's a commandment that, that God gives the people of Israel way back in the Old Testament, right? It's a, a word that God gave the people of Israel to love one another, right? We are to love one another. Um, and again, when we read through the Old Testament, again, the, it's encapsulated in how we love. I mean, the Old, the Ten Commandments tell us in the first four that we are to love God and the next six that we are to love our neighbor, right? I mean, it's split up that way. It's all about love. And so as we read through the uh, 7 through 11, again here, it tells us that we are to love as Jesus loved and says, this is an old commandment, an old commandment that takes us way back to the law. This is an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. And so how is it new? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus himself called his command to love new in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Wait a second, it's the same one from the Old Testament. How is this new? He says, love one another. And he gives us this condition. Love one another as I have loved you you also must love one another. What Jesus does is he gives us the example or the model of love, of true love, that we are to see his example of love for neighbor and love for enemy, love for the stranger, love for the vulnerable, love for the weak, love for the poor, love for the widow, love for the lost. As I have loved you. And in John 13, 35, the next verse, Jesus says, By this, all men will know, everyone will know, that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Two things. Live as Jesus lived, 
and to love as Jesus loved. Not out of our own power or our own might, not out of our own willingness or our own will, but simply because, again, the gospel always brings us to this, because of what Christ has done on our behalf, the propitiation for our sins, the one who covered our sins, the one who took our place and died for us. He shows us this old commandment by living it out and obeying it perfectly. My friends, this is the old, new commandment that Jesus gives us to follow. Would you join me in prayer? God, sometimes the measure of our allegiance to you we measure by how much of the Bible we read, how often we pray, how well we follow the commandments, how well we come to know our theology, whether we have good doctrine or not. But Father, we know that the, the whole of how we come to know you is not just what we believe about you and not just how well we follow your commandments, but how well we love our neighbor as ourselves. God, we thank you for the word. God, we thank you for the word that shines a light on the darkness of our own hearts because we know how often we can be led by our selfishness and our pride. God, we know how often we fall short in our love for even those in our own household. But God, remind us of what you did for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who took our place on Calvary and died a death that he did not deserve so that we might become the righteousness of God, the propitiation for our sins. We thank you for your love towards us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.